Welcome to episode 106 of the Winning Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host site expert, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is Behind the Book Pass contributor, podcast friend of all of us, growing celebrity, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello! You made a face. Why, why did you make a face? Uh, nothing. You sure? Yeah. This week has been fun, right? Yes, it has. Um, last week, it wasn't that I, I apologized for being wrong about things before. For kind of calling it all off, cancel the season, put a fork in it, this thing is done. I thought that was two weeks ago. Did I apologize for it? Last week, I apologized for it. Two weeks ago, I said it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I got you. And now you'll regret it. Well, said it one week. Apologize. Uh, but yeah, just to pile on that, the books have now won six straight. And we finally arrive at this six-game Western Conference road trip that we talked about forever. Um, and we've always kind of set it up as, you know, the the spell that will end the season was how we talked about it for a long time. <laughs> and now they go into it off the back of six straight wins back in a playoff place. And um, not only are they eight, they're only, is it one and a half games back of six? At the moment? It might even be one game back. Of I think it's a half game back. If I wow. remember correctly. <laughs> so the, the books have just decided to mix things up a little bit as they're prone to all season. I, I, there's something I thought I might start doing after games of Behind the Book Pass. Maybe it's too much effort, and I'll regret saying it and won't actually do it. But I see some of the teams, they'll they'll tweet out, like, the record so far for the year, right, game by game. And they'll do it. They'll visualize it with, like, green dots and red dots or sort of ticks and Xs. And I was just, imagine what the book's year actually looks like visualized like that because we've got this kind of nice spell to start then you've got like the sky falling in the middle and then this really extreme bounce back again it's just it looks like a light bright like, like just like this weird or maybe this pattern like emerges from doing that sort of exercise like the, it, it's like an arrow pointing this way there's just a, like, secret it message, just, a secret message yeah. built into the record that's what's all gone this way well, maybe I'll maybe I'll try it out after the Memphis game. We'll see. Don't hold me to that. It might just be too much work. It's one game back of the Pacers, by the way. Well, yeah, sorry. 
So to get that one clear. But we're going to do, we're going to get on to the upcoming week and we'll talk about it in some more detail than we usually do with these kind of things. Uh, because it, it really is, it's, it's still make or break, but maybe we've more cause for optimism than we had before. before yeah, the, so. the, the road trip was, to, that's a cut off, but it was, we were piping up as like this guillotine. I was like, here we go. <laughs> this is really going to end it. And now it, it's a, it's not as sharp. The guillotine is not as sharp as it once was. See, saying that before it actually happens, it could yet be just as sharp as we thought it was. That's true. It's now the, that we're not actually prepared for just how sharp the guillotine <laughs> could be. That, that could be the problem. The reason for that, though, is six straight wins. Um, The Bucks' best run in five years, almost exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have the longest active winning streak in the NBA at the moment. And <laughs> they're probably doing it at their most unhealthy they've been all season. When you consider it's all come without Jabari. All come without bees, or was he there at the start? No, he's all without him too. Um now we've had Mirza and Brogdon miss couple of games each terrence jones is not even playing he might as well not be here right now um so yeah. i mean the roster is really down to bare bones at the moment and somehow they're playing their best basketball of the season we're gonna get into a few different reasons why that might be and we'll kind of look at things a little bit closer what we're gonna start off with though by request of Jordan Tresky, is Jason Kidd. This isn't the first time we've talked about Jason Kidd in recent podcasts. I don't know. Some of you might remember we did it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of us might have talked more about it than the other. But with the team's winning six games straight, it gets more difficult to criticize the coach. Although, by no means does it sort of excuse what's gone before or buy extra time for what may come still. Yeah, you've been, you've been impressed by how he's managed the team in these last six games. I have, especially, I would say, more so over the last two games. Uh, for obvious reasons, like you without, said. Without Brockton having, and Telly, so. Yeah, to... Well, one linchpin and one kind of, you know, uh, at this point, just really like a seven-a-minute type guy uh, in Mirza. But anyway, for a long time, and a lot of our frustrations that were building, uh, that were shared by everyone, is just this constant turnover of, say, the starting lineup or the rotation or – whatever like i mean obviously you have things that you know contribute to that like jabari's injury Milton's return uh delhi not performing well in the starting lineup like those things obviously you have to make changes but there was also just the needless like let's keep trying to plug this you know they're like the bucks were in a boat and the whole it keeps you know sinking further and further and he's just trying to throw in like paper clips or like put gum or, you know, put a couple paper. of his mints that he's sucking on. Paper and for a boast. 
Well, I'm just saying any little like it's it's small like stones trying to fill up this. You know, it's a bad metaphor, but it's it's. Uh, you could have said like there was, you know, there was a there was a hole in the boat. Water was coming in, and he was using he was using gum to try and plug the hole. But he was using mints that he was already chewing on, and they were too small to plug up the hole in the boat. Okay. And the boat just kept fur, you know, sinking, and we we're all in despair. That is the end of my metaphor. Uh, I'm not very good at them. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so he just kept doing all these things, and we're just sitting here and like losing hope by game by game by game by game. And it even before this waiting streak even occurred beyond everybody's imagination, it was happening after the All Star break. Like the game last week, we were talking about the, the Denver game, and it was just like this. It felt like a bottoming out. Like that is the true bottoming out of the season. Like it was maybe that was the guillotine moment. That that could have been the guillotine moment. Hashtag the guillotine moment. But uh over the win streak, he has kind of this is not about minutes or anything like this, but for rotation, he's stuck with the same type of pattern. Obviously, Thon gets his, you know, five minute start, the JOB like start. Monroe comes in, Brogdon comes in, Jet usually comes in at the end of the first quarter, like around the two-minute mark, two-three-minute mark. Same kind of thing. Even Spencer Hawes, uh, who the Bucks have won every game that he's played. Good luck, Tram. Uh, he comes in at r- these certain amount of times, and I feel like there is fo- like some form of coherency with what he's doing. Even the last two games, they are – you know, on the when you see both Mirza and Brogner out, obviously you look at the point guard depth and you're like, okay, we only have one point guard, it, or I guess two. And the power forward teams. depth. Wait, yeah, and the power forward depth. depth. Yes, yes. And you're thinking, okay, <laughs> I mean, you're everything that you had to do. The the deck is already stacked against you. You have to play the perfect game and you have to coach the perfect way. It, these last two games have not been. Uh, pretty by whatsoever, like any means. Like there are four, almost 40 turnovers against the Pacers game combined between the two teams. Timberwolves game was similarly, and I mean, just the way how it unfolded, especially the last few minutes. I mean, it wasn't as so much as they won, they it was just basically they defended it off any you know comeback attempt. Um, but I feel like there is some like. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I would have easily said he has lost grasp on the team. He has lost grasp on uh, managing a basketball game. He has lost grasp, grasp of just everything. And finally, I feel like with one win and two wins and obviously up to six now, he has some form of like he's found something again. It, that Like that fire is, you know, it looked like it was burned out. Now it's burning again. How hot it is, we don't know. But I feel like it's one of those things where all they needed was, you know, two wins there, and then it was kid just finding something. And I don't know, I'm not attributing that to him totally, but it is something that has come in the way of all this craziness, (laughs) really. I promise I'm not just being a contrarian with this. But I just can't. I can't see any part of that that he deserves credit for. 
Because oh, you're no, saying, saying all, all he needed. Uh, no, but the, the point of, right, it's not what we've seen from earlier in the year with the sort of, I guess, overthinking or the constantly changing rotations. We're not seeing that. But more than, like, needing a couple of wins or anything and then getting out of his own way, well, this, really it might mean he needed, like, four or five guys to be injured. So he literally had no yeah. choice. Like, I think that's the part of this. And you have to go, well, is he going to learn the lesson when guys are healthy again? It's just he can't get in his own way right now because the only option he has that he's not using is Terrence Jones. And considering some of the lineups he's putting out there, Terrence Jones probably wouldn't hurt them compared to some of those lineups right now. But that's the only thing he could change up. He doesn't have his usual array of options. So he can't just change the starting lineup for the fun of it. He can't even really get over-adventures at most of his positions. They've got all those centers they have, um, which really shows it would have been nice to kind of spread out the roster a little bit more. Having a third point guard would have helped. Uh, they've got all of that, and they've got shooting guard small forward covered. And then he's got to just find other guys to be on the floor. So there's five players on the floor. And that's the part I've found really interesting when people people freaking out during games like constantly about why is Henson out with Monroe? Why are, why are Hawes and Monroe playing together now? It's like, well, he only has a certain amount of players. Guys need rest. He has to put other guys on the floor. It's not necessarily this brainwave has come to him. He's gone, okay, it's time that we play two big lineups so much more often. It's He literally has no choice. He doesn't have guards or wings to be able to, to put in in place of them. Uh, like, Tladovic is an interesting one because if Tladovic wasn't injured, he has to be playing. They have nothing else to afford. He has to be playing. But yet, by him not being there, even by Brogdon, and I think this would still stand if it was Delhi who was injured and he only had Brogdon, just by not being able to mess around with who plays with who, we're getting a look at what consistency can do. And this is, a lot of people don't like momentum as a kind of phrase or a term, but I think the key thing is he hasn't been able to crush momentum with any sort of unnecessary moves because as guys have got more comfortable within lineups together, well, there's no one else to come in and take their place. So they're getting to run with that continuity. And I think it is particularly interesting for, say, someone like Delhi, um, who has played a lot better recently. He's obviously shot the ball really well against the Timberwolves, but he's had much better playmaking games of late as well. Looks a more confident player. And that really shouldn't be all that surprising. One, because he... He's handling the ball a lot, but maybe still a little bit less because Middleton is doing a lot of it without Brogdon there. I think some of that responsibility has been passed over. Giannis is doing it a lot. But also he's just getting to know the guys he's playing with. And it's it's helping him, and he's not the only one quite a lot. Um, I think plenty of people would argue something similar for Rashad Vaughn. I'm not one of them. We'll get to that later. But I, I can't dispute that what's helping the books right now is the rotation is tight. But, like, I think it was the Pacers game, he described it after the game as, you know, we kept things tighter tonight. We went to, like, a playoff-style rotation. We only played nine guys or something. 
that's not you didn't choose to go playoff style. <laughs> you don't have guys that are healthy to let you do otherwise. So I mean, if the if the discovery out of this is, you know what, if you put consistent lineups out there, guys get to know each other, they get to know their role, they feel comfortable in it, and when good things happen, they feel they can build on it, and when bad things happen, they feel like they have the opportunity to fix that. If what we've learned is all of those things combined to make a better basketball team, it's like, yeah, that's what we, we've all known that since the start of the season, really. Like, I mean, that's definitely something we've talked about a lot. Um, you know the thing I hate about kids coaching more than anything is just the constant changes. It's like yeah. whenever something might be showing something or figured out, it's changed. You're going, well, what, what was the point of doing it in the first place? So mm-hmm. there is really something there. Um, I there have been games where I would credit him because, in spite of all the injuries, he managed minutes very well. And there's been other games where that hasn't been the case. But at the moment, we probably have to cut them a little slack on that because if you're trying to win games to stay in a playoff race, which now they are in, they're not just in, they're in pole position in that playoff race. If you're doing that and your team's losing, you can't just go, okay, Giannis and Chris, you look tired. Come on out. I mean, that's the best thing to do, but it's not that easy. And we have talked before. He's a coach who... If he's not coaching to save his job at the end of the season, he's definitely coaching to prove something and to really show there's something real and concrete to build on. So there there have been good elements, but I feel what you're identifying as is right. It's probably the biggest key to their success. I, just, I wouldn't say it's the biggest key. I would not say it's the biggest key. Well, no, there's one, one particular player is the biggest key. Yeah, um, But it's a byproduct of who will we... Who we will actually, you know what, Jordan, it might be the biggest key because I think a really important part of this, particularly when they're shorthanded, is how they've managed to get all of their role players to step up. And it feels like someone is doing something every night. Like there's there's always someone there to help out right now. And they don't get that if they don't if they're playing six minutes one night, twenty-five minutes the next. That doesn't come along as easily. And Henson is an interesting example for that. Is Henson didn't play at all, but then when he did play and he took his chance, he got similar opportunity the next night, and he put up very similar numbers again. Like there is just that sense of it's helping those guys out a lot, and maybe that is the most important. You think last night the books had no twenty point score. Giannis had eighteen. I think Chris finished on eleven. That sounds right. It was Tony Snell that even led them, right? Snell had 19, yeah. But uh, like, if any time this, this year, like knowing definitely post-Jabari's injury, if it tells you, oh, well, Giannis has 18, Chris has 11. Did the books win or lose? They're losing. You're going to yeah. say they're going to lose every single time. So that's something that's been really different from this. So my only hope is that he learns from this. And if, say... On Monday night in Memphis, Toledovich and Brogdon are healthy again. He still reigns the rotation in some way, and he starts to work with, well, okay, we know keeping it at that is right, but who are the best guys to play? You know what? It doesn't... It's not conventional logic, but maybe there is something to two bigs in the second unit, depending on your matchup. Maybe there is something that he's found there that, you know what, that can work in small bursts if you have the right guys out there with them. 
I, I feel there are certain guys who it was probably known to begin with, but they've consolidated their role. As in, like Jason Terry is so central to anything the books are going to do in the second unit. And that's going to go on their fight up to get to the playoffs. And if, if they make the playoffs, he's going to be one of the most important players on the floor because of his experience and everything in kind of shepherding that second unit along. It's, it's just crazy how much he does without necessarily doing all that much in a box score in his time on the floor. We'll get to all of them in a little bit more detail soon. Do you see what I'm saying on Kid though? Or do you feel there are other areas where he maybe is deserving more of credit for it? Like, as I said in opening, I can't I can't criticize him, but I do feel some of the some of the things that are really helping him from a coaching point of view or helping the team have kind of just been dictated by the circumstance rather than by a decision on his part. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, probably the biggest test of this and this is not a you know the redemption or anything like it makes any of our po- past points uh mute or moot uh it's moot uh but uh it's when will when they lose and they will lose again we know there's enough games that they when will the lose Jordan's building you don't know i mean i'd love for them not to but i'm just saying that test of if depending on when they lose and how they lose as well. Exactly. How they lose is more of like the manner of how they lose. Does he go back to trying to tinker things? Cause there's obvious, I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, talk about this now, but I think there's an obvious uh, change that could be made in the starting lineup that I could see kid making if they, or once, once they lose again, but I don't know. That's the biggest question. Is, there is an obvious change. I think so. Is that starting Monroe? I I don't I don't know who, with who. Okay, I, think, I thought you had one specific because I'm struggling. I no no no. I, I have one specific, but I don't I don't know who they would start in place of the person I don't want to name in order Tom. to it. It yeah, is Tom. Yeah. yeah. Well. I mean, if Henson could play like this for six or seven games, uh, which I mean, that would be a first in his entire career, basically. Hey, but, he was six and one during that one season when he started. So like, there was like a stat. Remember that stat during the it, fame forty-one and forty-one. It sounds year? vaguely familiar to me. All right, it was. It, like does, it sounds like when, that's everyone kept getting angry about Zaza starting and quoting. That's that. Yeah. Um, the Bucks are 83 and 210 since Brandon Knight got traded. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's not do that one. Yeah, I, I could see that too, but then I feel... I, I, I do think there's a real thing and one of kids' better decisions. And the reason he's given for it, I, I probably would have done it for different reasons personally at the time if I was the coach. But... Ton's energy has been really important in all of this and still is in every game. Do you not think so? I, I really do feel dark because this book's team is guilty of not necessarily starting. Yeah, and when I mean, he's the last there, few games have been when he's <laughs> there, I'm not yeah. saying his decisions or his impact is always necessarily great because of it. Yeah. But he plays with such an urgency that even if, like against the Timberwolves, say that style of game where it 
couple two three minutes go by that are kind of you know okay these are scary two three minutes we need to get on the board now or another couple of minutes like this and this game is going to be gone before it started like say the nuggets game was a few weeks back it's in those scenarios where his urgency can kind of just shock guys into life like you were you were there the other night where he had that double clutch dunk and he only played like four minutes i think in the first quarter if he even might have been the whole game there was one of the games where he came in after came out after three minutes i don't know if it was that one but there there are things he can do where even if his teammates are kind of sleepwalking coming out of the blocks he can kind of jolt them into life maybe it's not always even good things it's he might sort of just be moving a little bit frantically all over the place be out of position then so or he's lax on you know recovering and someone has to like fill in for him like i i don't know i feel like i really i uh, i don't know there's just... there is a I, there's an interesting decision to be made now i see i hadn't really thought of it but there particularly if you're now if you are now looking like you could be a playoff team it's like, well, let's say, and this is up in the air because the books could be a six seed, and then I don't know, maybe maybe they wouldn't even be the one seed. Things are weird. But as a hypothetical, if you have a Cavs books first round, <sighs> like I love Tom, I love watching him, I'm excited for what the future can be. But do you really want to go into that in the playoffs with Tom Maker starting. That would be five. unfair for him. You're I think right. it would. I think that's a lot. And they, and in that scenario, when play slows down, it's a lot easier to target guys as well. And he would be targeted. And they're going to, I mean, as little as he has still played, even though he is a starter or has been in the starting lineup for at least like 15 straight games, maybe even a little bit more than that. The teams are still, there's enough minutes there that like they could just parse through to see like how they play him. It's either he's spotting up behind the three-point line or he's going to kind of hover around the paint and, uh, you know, bobble some catches and all that stuff. It just, I, I mean, and there is, John is – He's definitely – he's actually – I don't know if you saw, John Henson made this joke um, after the Pacers game that he, he he said, I wouldn't have been on the scouting report, so they probably didn't know what to expect from me. Ton, Ton would be. Ton is much more scoutable than John Henson right now. Probably. Well, that is well. That is that is an interesting quote coming from him. <laughs> I I would say uh, he's right though. I mean, I think if Nate McMillan and I've lots of question marks over Nate McMillan, but if he was in the locker room, his video guys were there before, and they were like, right, so you've got a John Hanson, right? When John Hanson gets the ball, we're like, what? John Hanson's not gonna get the you ball. You mean the guy that created the Muppets? No, I'm talking about John Hanson. You mean the guy that hosted Wipeout? There's a guy named John Henson. Yeah, that one went over my head. You should have left with the one I got. You got your laugh. Could have moved on. I should have. Yeah, I should have ramped up to it. One laugh was is never enough. No, I'm not. I'm not like Costanza. I gotta do one and get out. The other thing with Tom, if if we went to a series like that, speaking as someone who has watched um, who has watched the team for uh, two straight years be absolutely destroyed by Tristan Thompson rebounding, that <laughs> wouldn't go well as well. So there is there is probably, uh, you know, if they continue playing well, you're going to have to make a change that you mightn't want to make. 
or it becomes real spot start. Like he is out after three minutes, regardless of what's going on. I thought maybe they stick with that just for. I mean, that might be the right move to just for you know, let's not disrupt this too much. It's not the Jason Kidd move, from what we know, but it might be the right move to have him there and be like, okay, well, you're going to play the first four minutes, and that's you done. But then, if there are bad first four minutes, you could be out of a game against a, one of the Cleveland, Boston, Toronto, whoever it's going to be. Not Toronto, Washington. Washington. Yeah. Hmm, it's an interesting one. Yeah. It, do you, so... Do you anticipate that change? It's what they were saying that makes sense, but I think if if there is a one, if there's a loss or maybe two straight losses or something like that, I feel like that is the first thing that happens. But that that drives me crazy because is that not a change as we're talking about that should be almost driven by winning? That it's like okay, we're we're now having to. We're also not only are we now making the playoffs and focusing on making the playoffs. But we have to prepare for we're going to be playing playoff games. Is that not something like, you know what I mean? Say if they got through this Western trip, let's say they get back home having gone 500, three and three on the trip. And everything's looking good. The schedule thrice is and thrice. relatively kind from there on in. Like at that point, you've got to kind of go, okay. This is getting very real. We've got to be ready for that. We can't just, you know, we can't put everything into making it and then have nothing left when we get there and not know how to play when we get there, uh, which is the real possibility because they left themselves that much to do. But if that was something that came out of a loss, then I'm like, okay, well, what are we doing here? I think that's that's always the the word I know I've always used is reactive or reactionary. And I would I would I wouldn't mind if it was the proactive change for once. If yeah. it was, you know, things are going really well. I come out and say it and say things are going really well. Ton has been amazing for us. We still want to get him some minutes somewhere in the game, but we want more experience. We want a stronger body in there. And we're getting ready for the grind of playoff basketball. We're playing against other teams who are fighting for their place in the playoffs. Whatever it is, like come out and say it and make the proactive change if you are gonna go that route. Yeah. Otherwise, if you know the tide turns the other way, he could pull a Fizdale instead of uh, like his uh, press conference the other day, and it's like if you don't like it, you could suck a mint. I mean, he's already had his press conference for the season. Like, I mean, that's that has passed. I... <laughs> we don't need another one of those. I want. I want it. Somewhere. You know, when the off season comes around, we'll probably just have to revisit that and do one whole podcast on that particular press conference. Reflect on it in context of the season, whatever that will be. Like the fact that we're now talking about, you know, maybe they need to take Ton out of the starting lineup to prepare for the playoffs is so alien compared to what we were talking about two weeks ago. It's it's actually beyond belief. Yeah. I think there's another big factor in all of this. Which I, I mean, you don't talk about kid, Sarah, Sarah. I thought we'd already got the case right out there. Um, this time I said kid. Oh god! When a team wins six straight, the one thing you don't often hear is talk about the other teams around them. 
the books have got some help from those other teams of late in the standings. Uh, like Chicago, the Bulls I, are the best example. They have been sent to the cornfield officially. <laughs> that is, they're in free fall. And we said all season that you know that was inevitable. Uh, but even if you look like last ten games, Indiana are four and six as well. That's the same as the Bulls. Yeah, that's why that that gap is now so tight that it could be one night away because the books own the the tiebreaker over them. It's only the Heat that they don't own the tiebreaker over the teams currently in the sort of immediate mix above them. So, and they have. I mean, well, actually, no. They're. I mean, they're on part. I was gonna, I redacted without even saying my comment, so it's already been redacted. Okay. Anything else on Kid in particular in regard to the winning streak, or we move on? Um, yeah, let's move on. I can't really think of anything else. Okay. So we mentioned earlier that if the kind of stability of minutes for the bench isn't the biggest key to the winning streak, and one player in particular is you a lot of credit for it. Um, it isn't Yanis as much as Yanis has been excellent of late. It is the man who Yanis himself has credited as being the reason why they're winning now and they were losing before, and that's Chris Middleton. I want to talk about a little bit about Chris and how he's played and just exactly everything he's been doing to contribute to this. But I also want to visit what is one of the one of the more ongoing narratives of books Twitter, which is to start up narratives, to start up factions where one faction involves Jabari and the other faction involves whichever other player. On this case, it's Chris Middleton. We're getting the comparison of what the books were before Jabari's injury, Middleton's return, and what they are since their roles have been reversed. Will we talk generally about Middleton first, just as a sort of light note before we have to go into that stuff? Yeah. As much as Middleton has kind of hit the ground running in terms of his shot, um, his playmaking, seven turnover game aside, his defense has even come back. The biggest key that all the players and Jason Kidd constantly talk about is his leadership and how vocal he now is on the floor. And I find this interesting because I'm sure you'll remember, some of our listeners might remember, this was something that Middleton emphasized in his exit interview at the end of last season, that he felt he got better at it, but he just, he said he needed to do so much more of it. It was just a case of coaches keep telling him to do it. He needs to do it. It's going to be what's best for the team. And the teammates have been very, very, that means shy. That means shy in heaping praise on Middleton for his role in communication. And I guess the most interesting part of that is the Bucks defense has come back from whatever whatever kind of grisly debt it had experienced when we turned over into the calendar year of 2017. And they're now showing some really positive signs on that end of the floor again. I think it's very easy to attribute that and not entirely inaccurate to 
to just how good that Chris Middleton is as a defender. But there is likely a bigger influence in how he's kind of affecting those around them in that sense as well. Do you know the, the book's defensive rating and their, their ranking in for these last six games for the win streak? Uh, I think I looked it up. I want to say it's – I think the last time I looked it up is like 13th, but maybe it's even better. We no, go, no, like, we're talking just for the six games. Or, oh, just for the six games. Um, I uh, it's gotta be I don't know what is it? <laughs> that was great, Jordan. <laughs> I don't defensive rating of ninety nine point four fourth in the NBA. That's a good radio that's station. A, that's a net rating of eleven point four, thanks to one ten point nine offensive rating. Um, which the offensive rating is eight in the NBA right now. That net rating, second in the NBA, only behind the Miami Heat. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy one, too. Timberwolves are third, by the way, for this six-game uh, snapshot we're taking. So things are being weird. Um, where The Warriors are down in 22nd. So... Yeah, things have been strange. To go to overall, the books are up to nineteenth in defensive rating overall. It's not particularly great, but positive net rating again, which has them top ten in net rating, top ten in offensive rating at one hundred seven point seven as well. So they play the hits of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and today. On the whole, the offense is what's really, I guess, kept their season afloat through the good and the bad times, uh, which we talked about this recently. It's amazing that we continue to hear only about defense uh, because they've, they've got something good going considering how little focus they're putting. They're, my favorite quote in every post-game kid press conference is, you know, we, don't, we just don't worry about what happens on that end. Yeah, it doesn't. I think it was. It might have been. There might actually have been the Timberwolves game when Giannis had 18 points. It's like, yeah. you know, he's upset. He missed a couple of layups, but we don't worry about that end. I said, does kid know that you have to score at least once to have a chance of winning a game? Uh, you know, shutout's not going to get it done if you can't score, Jordan. You're stuck in limbo forever. Imagine him uh, limboing. That was I had to, I had to adjust my mind to that because I was using limbo in a very different context. So I was like, imagine him, what are we talking about? Kid in some sort of strange purgatory, and then it hit me. No, we were talking about Jason Kidd doing the limbo. The yeah, now there. now I imagined it. You got me there. That might be that might be tough on his hip. <laughs> we, might yeah, it's some, we might end up with some more. Uh, Hashtag playoff prunty if playoff prunty. Kid, was, kid was to get down to do some limboing. Where were we, Jordan? Chris Middleton. Yes. Do you feel there is something to him offering more of a presence than he used to? And that kind of buoying those around them right now? I would say yes. It, it is kind of this 
interesting development with uh, Middleton. A lot of it, like last year, I think what got um, more pub or what we talked about more uh, <laughs> when it came to like this kind of not like body language stuff, but like demeanor or mentality or just like the pro like the growth of a basketball player becoming a veteran, all this stuff was like being the number one guy or the running the offense through him. And obviously that was more of the case last year to where he is now. And it's just, you know, 13 games, he's coming off a serious injury, all that stuff. But the communication part has always kind of, you know, held stronger, like flew under, under the radar. He, admitted as much that he isn't the most talkative guy that isn't you know in his dna so that's him branching out and becoming you know better communicator on the floor and obviously we have you know great examples of uh, a couple years ago of these very vocal guys on the floor especially defensively and milton is starting to become that that type of player i'm not saying he's in the realm of a dudley or maybe even a zaza at this point but that is still something that you know when you talk about an evolution of a basketball player, you talk about just how his numbers are growing, what skills he's working on and all that stuff. But there's also that component of just, you know, <laughs> talking on the floor and having, making, making sure there's, you know, good lines of communication. Cause we have seen, uh, <laughs> there's many examples of recent Bucks basketball uh, of just, you know, defensive plays just falling apart just because people aren't talking. And then, when they're, you know, as someone's going down the the lane and they, you know, put up a layup or dunk it home, you see all these guys having their shoulders up and, you know, wondering whose fault was that and pointing fingers and all that stuff. So that side of Middleton is just, you know, it's, again, it's one of these things that it just, it, it kind of springs up about it or springs up on you. You don't really think about it until you blatantly see it. Uh, and it's, you know, Again, it's great to see. Yeah, and I just I think there is something to not just him, but it's interesting you look at individual books leaders net rating. And the top four guys are incredibly experienced. They're all guys who you would think would have something to say or would be able to direct their teammates a little bit on both ends of the floor. You've got Middleton now leading the books in net rating at six point nine, Jet second, six point seven. Mirza just behind him also 6.7 and then Greg Monroe at 6.1 and you've got a big drop off to Brogdon at 3.8 in fifth so it is interesting that you know the guys who are showing the most consistent positive impact on the floor are the older or the more experienced players and I guess that's something that it's not all that surprising when we saw what the books turned out to be last year. And this is something that really sort of strikes me right now is last season was last season was worse and there was there was just no way that they were ever coming back when things went wrong. There was never the spark to begin with that we'd seen something good that you know that could come again. But at the same time it's like they weren't in too much of a different spot than they were last year. Wasn't that different record-wise? Yeah, this year's group had what it takes to kind of just call upon themselves to turn things around. And I feel that's a real part of what we're seeing now. That goes in as, like, Jim Paschke keeps commenting on and 
on the broadcast, Yanis not smiling and Yanis really sort of intense demeanor. But I think that goes for someone like Greg Monroe, who we've talked about forever, how much he must want to get to the playoffs. Someone like Jet goes into that mode. Uh, Middleton, because he missed so much time, I'm sure he would rather get some postseason basketball in than get whatever it be, 30 games or so, and then be done for, for another few months. So I, I find it kind of interesting that the older guys seem to be driving something and everything is coming from within the team. And you look to your leaders, I think the way Yanis is deserving of so much credit for how he's showing a willingness, we always knew he had the ability, but a willingness to take over games on the fourth and just kind of grab the win like he did against the Knicks, for example, which ended up a really comfortable win and they could easily have lost that game if Giannis didn't decide to win it. I think by the same token, Middleton is doing something like that, but he doesn't just let it all go in one burst in the fourth quarter. It's a steadier presence throughout. He might be the guy Well, that when we look at these terrible first quarters, and there's been quite a few of them recently, and the first quarter ends and all of a sudden they're down by four points or by two points and you're going, wow, this is incredible. I mean, I'm used to, you know, they play like that, the game's over. Yeah, I mean, that was their MO last year. <laughs> that was, was their MO like three weeks ago. Yeah, three weeks ago. Yeah, even more recent. Yeah, it has been this kind of... It's, I don't, I, again, everything that has happened this year and just this turnaround and, like you said, the fact that we're talking about playoffs when two weeks ago we were, you know, steadfast on we're going to lottery and... <laughs> Like, that's great. We could be back uh, there two weeks from now. This is the books. This is how Well, works. true, but it is like, it is the, there's more, it's not like, I guess it, it would feel It feels more, like there's something real. Yeah, there is something there, whereas everything just, it was like this mudslide. We're going in the mud. There is also the element that you want things to come together at the right time. And if, if you're going to have a bad spell, I mean, they, they had it at the better time to have it. Um, they've had no real luck with injuries. No, I mean, no less so than last year, but injuries just continue to be an issue more so really this year because higher profile players, but that team of, you know, constant injuries is kind of there this year um, in the background again, but peering through the window. No, that's Steve Novak. That's not oh, injuries. Yeah. But there's another window. Injuries are injuries are in the room in the background. Steve <laughs> Novak is outside the room looking in the window. Crawling through the vent. I'm here. Are you are you creating some sort of John McClain like yeah. image of Steve Novak? No, 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 the injury. This injury oh, okay. I thought game. Steve Novak was in the vent. He could be. Would his would his vest be white at the start and then all of a sudden it'd be green? Would that be probably Right, they like they, like John Hammond has said. They've always they kept their eye on him for a long time. Let's get on. Let's get on to the bit that I don't like. Yeah. I know you don't like this either. Is there just a, an element now that people are looking? Oh, okay, that's I mean, fair. Yes, I, under, yes. I understand. I've got to no. answer your question. Yes. No, no, no. Because there is there is a part of it. Okay, I understand. <laughs> if we want to really just oversimplify things. You can look at spells now where, oh well, last time Jabari was injured, the books the books were forty one and forty one. They made the playoffs. 
He's yeah. healthy for a year. They missed the playoffs. He gets injured. They get back into the playoff mix. Like, if you want to simplify things like that, I get it. What makes this a little different is it isn't the first time round that we've had this whole experience of, oh, it's all Jabari's fault. You know, that was the reason everything was bad. Now Middleton's there. Things are better. There are elements of truth to that in terms of, like, is the defense better now with Middleton than Jabari? If you can only have one of those guys, who's going to make the defense better? It's Middleton. That's indisputable. But to boil down to that entirely is a little bit strange to me, particularly because the books aren't quite scoring as well as they have done recently. I think they're playing with the slowest pace. I feel time. like I feel like they've got away with that too. Like the that could oh, yeah. yeah come back to bite them in a big way and everyone will be standing there being like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we also had a 20 point per game score around? It's a very strange and I'll be honest, infuriating thing for me. And um, this isn't a game I, I do like Jabari, but it's just it's not about that. I just don't understand why why this has to be the thing. What are, it's, what are I feel like it's searching for something that isn't there, though. That is the whole... I mean, we can both sit here and, again, I hate... The problem I have with this whole debate or argument or whatever it is, uh, this ramshackle, uh, that's probably not the right word for this situation, but anyway... It just all comes down to, like, I keep seeing these words, like, well, I'm a Jabari apologist, or I'm a Jabari hater, I'm not the biggest fan. Like, it just basically comes down to how you feel about Jabari. And I really hate how, not hate, but I don't like those. No, you hate it, Jordan. You said it. Come on. Strong, strong feeling. I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't almost like got a strong feeling out of you. No, I did. Well, I don't like is, <laughs> I feel like that's strong. <laughs> well, at least for strong for me. But I just don't like, the conversation just, Deludes into people like how they feel about a certain player. Well, that has nothing to do with this. I feel like that has nothing to do with how the Bucks have played since he's gone down and how the Bucks have played since Milton's return, which is obviously a very at the same point. Um, obviously, they're both two different players. They're two different, or they're at different stages of their career. One was a uh, you know twenty point per game scorer on a you know, not not under man bucks team, but not fully one hundred percent. And the other has, you know, consistent we all the talk that we've had about Chris Milton is about how underrated he is, how well rounded of a player he is, all this stuff. And we all knew like we all know the differences between Jabari and Milton. And now it's just getting I mean, I haven't seen as much as you have, but it's getting glommed into this. Yeah, I don't know what, what what's the difference in our timelines here, or maybe it's I'm on. I've been on the site account the last few games, uh, so maybe that's where you you, uh, you see more. That's probably, well, I also went to the game on Friday, so I, I right. Missed... That's that's also true. My my biggest problem with this is that it's based on assumptions that are entirely idiotic. Yeah. Entirely idiotic. This version of Middleton and the most recent version we've seen of Jabari have, haven't played together. They played six minutes together. They played two minutes together, three minutes together with Yanis, whatever that was. They haven't played together. So we actually don't know what a Middleton-Jabari 
Yana's team would look like. It could be even better than this. You might give up a little bit more on defense, but the offense just might be so much that they'd be blowing teams away. We, we just don't actually know that. Like to, to make any jump on, say, what the books were last season um, with the three of them, one, you're forgetting then that Jabari was coming back from an injury. He only really hit his strides later on. And when he did hit his strides later on, no one was saying, you know, those three guys don't look like they can work together. That conversation was gone. But then mm-hmm. take from that, Jabari last season to Jabari this season is a completely different player. Like, what does Jabari look like alongside Yanis and Middleton when he's shooting, even when it dropped around 37% from three? That's a very different Jabari than we used to talk about. That gives you very different offensive, I guess, capabilities as a team. I I just think there's some real leaps taken in this. And the only reason can be that you have some sort of motivation one way or another. And that just blows my mind. I yeah. feel like there is an element of some books fans. I'm not saying this is all books fans. I'm sure 99% of you don't need to take offense to this. But there is... There is an element where it's almost as if you can have too many good players. You know what I mean? That, yeah. you, that there are things you can't figure out. Like, I don't have a problem. If longer term, Jabari's defense is so crippling that the books, books reach this magical kind of peak that isn't 41-41 that we're all hoping for, uh, maybe the fit is uncomfortable. Maybe he has to come off the bench. Maybe he's a sixth man. Whatever that is, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but if you get to that point where you're really competitive and you have an option that, well, Jabari doesn't work, he's a six-man, or Middleton becomes a six-man, whatever that is, that's not a bad thing. I, I feel there's this this constant need for... It worked for, for Greg Monroe. Like, it's yeah. like this weird... Yeah. No, but I, I'm, no, one, no one even looks at it like that. It's Instead, it's like uh, Jabari, right, Okay, I understand the skepticism, the pessimism of his injury, of him ever being anything again. That's that's a different discussion. If people feel like that, I don't quite feel like that. Until we see it, it's hard to say that for sure. But I get that. I understand where that comes from. What I don't get is just kind of writing off a guy as a 20-point scorer, from what we've seen so far, of having use to this team. His role may end up different in the bigger picture but to think that you know there's not value to that is very very strange to me yeah and it, it goes back to what we probably when we did our whole jabari debate when was that maybe late december maybe earlier and how the whole defense and just all of the stuff uh and it it just came back to like how this is coming back up, it's like being painted as Jabari was the reason why they're losing. And it is far from the case. It cannot be both that. It cannot be both, uh, you know, kids, you know, losing complete grasp of the team and all this stuff. It can't be all these reasons for why this is happening. Everything was going wrong at the same time with everything contributing. There wasn't one reason over another why things were so bad, you know, for the last, or, you know, not that long ago. And it just again, I, I don't know. It's, I, I, it's. We've seen like minor conversations or arguments about this with other players, and you know we've talked about that in the past. But when it comes to Jabari, like that is like the big like thing that 
it feels like it's how Bucks fans feel about Jabari and and all this stuff. It's going to like define how we you know view his time with the team for however long that is. It's just I don't I I find it very uncomfortable. I feel like there's an element to this of correct me if I'm wrong if you've seen it or anyone listening correct me if you've seen it. I just feel I don't see other fan bases do this unless. And this is where I'd understand it with Jabari. If he was playing on his next big contract and the concerns were still there and you're worrying and there's big money on the table, like when this is a guy on his rookie scale deal, I don't know what the need for this weirdness is. The best example I can give, I, I follow quite a lot of Timberwolves fans, writers. They played a lot better since Zach Levine has gone down. Their defense has been better. Much like we can acknowledge with the books, does Zach Levine not being there potentially help Minnesota's defense? Yes, the same as Jabari not being there helps the books. But I don't feel the Timberwolves perspective is necessarily arcing quite as much as it does for many books fans as to, you know, they're better without Zach Levine. That's it. Better without him. Um, it's all down to Zach Levine <laughs> not being That's... there. Carl Anthony Towns can only average the points of rebounds he is right now without Zach Levine. It's not like that. If Zach Levine is a sixth man, which personally I've always felt he is, that's fine. He'll be oh. a really good sixth man. Hmm. So I, I was trying to turn it under. The whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, we're as confused as ever by the pitting one player against the other, and that's what this is. It, it happens to be Jabari against someone because it seems to be always what it is. A player that isn't playing, and let's bring it back up. Like, uh, yeah. But that is that is that is the Bucks way. That is mm-hmm. the Bucks fan way. Someone who isn't playing is really gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When things are are going well, you still manage to find some complaints about something. Yeah. <sighs> Before we move on to the week ahead and predictions and all of that stuff, let's talk about the role players. I'm talking about Matthew Davidova, Tony Snell, Jason Terry, John Henson. You're not chipping in with any names, Jordan. Back away from the microphone. Those kind of guys who have transformed the books, along with Chris Middleton, along with Giannis over the past week or so. I found it interesting. I think it might have been... I, I know it was, actually. It was Jonathan Sharks of The Ringer. And did you see his piece on the books of the Timberwolves? I did. He made a comment on that, which... When I read it, I, I was kind of stuck in two minds of feeling... Hmm. Has he actually not watched much books? And so he's coming out with that take? Or is it that we're also kind of just stuck right in the middle of it, really too close to see anything that we're not being able to step back and see. Objects may appear farther or closer. Than, <laughs> or what is it? I, I screwed that up. I, everyone will know what you mean. I don't even, I, I can't think of how to word that, but I know exactly Objects what may appear closer. Oh, damn it. Objects and mirror are closer than they appear. There we go. There we go. It's also a meatloaf album. Meatloaf. <laughs> or Meatloaf song. Meatloaf song, sorry. Wow. That's a song. <laughs> but what Jonathan Sharks actually noted in his piece was the best thing about the books this year has been their bench. 
Mm-hmm. And he was going through net rating of guys like Jason Terry, Mirza Toledovic. I know, I know how angry that must make some of you to hear. Um, and how, look, the books were, they were getting their most positive contributions with those kind of guys, second unit guys, Greg Monroe as well, on the floor. And where do you, what do you feel? Like? Do you feel like we are maybe just a little bit too rooted right at the center of this to actually see everything that's going on? Because I feel there's some positive contributions. I definitely wouldn't have gone that far. I am. I may not be a hundred percent right there with him, but I'm very close. I mean, I guess Beasley as well. When you look at things yeah. he's done, yeah. And if you view Snell as this, I mean, he's yeah, he's a he's a starter. I mean, he's he's been a and for this season, but in I think he Sharks is looking at him through this lens of he's just you know filling in for Milton that kind of thing. I think I think it was interesting. Um, our own Tim Ray from Down Under. Uh, he had a question about – I can't remember how he exactly phrased it, but it was something about who picked – of these three or, or of these four options or whatever it was, who do you think is the most uh, surprising? Jordan, 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 this is in the mailbag later. Tim oh, has, okay. Tim has resubmitted it for the mailbag. Okay. Will uh, we do it now? We'll do it now just because – Yeah, know. let's do it now. So what Tim said was on the subject of role players exceeding expectations, this was after Snell and Delhi's big night against the Timberwolves. Snowies. Which books free agent slash trade acquisition has surprised you the most this season? Michael Beasley, Tony Snell, Jason Terry, other. Don't, don't, Jordan. <laughs> don't do it. Um, my problem with this is... Every time I do, and we've had uh, roundtables, I think we've had this sort of question like twice in roundtables, I feel like I'm changing my pick every time because there are a lot of wordy candidates and it's really just who's flavor of the month at that time and they get the nod for it. Yeah, I, I, that, and that's what I said. Like, I'd even, I don't think I even had an answer at the time, but it, I said like the fact that you can make an th- uh, argument for all three, depending on you know, whatever basis of your argument is, like that is something. That means something for how the Bucks are, uh, you know, this year compared to last year. I mean, we talk about every every time we talk about the bench as a whole, we just talk about how awful last year's bench was, and the fact that you know they have actual bench players or actual NBA players on their bench that are making positive contributions, and people that, like players that are are kind of having disappointing seasons or just kind of, eh. I mean. There's- they're still better, though. I think they're, they're still, yeah, exactly. They still have that element to Delhi and Toledovic as much as people have been on both of their cases during the year, and they're like, they're terrible. Right. Well, let's go back to the days of Jorge Gutierrez and Damian Inglis. And then you like, you, you're not going to have guys having good seasons every year, but they're actual <laughs> NBA players. There's no yeah. doubt. Like, they're not borderline NBA players. Either of those guys, if they were free agents in the morning, they'd find the team elsewhere with a little difficulty. Yeah. I voted just there and I, I used my I guess my current my current feeling, my instincts on it right now again, which led me to Jason Terry at the moment, because I'm just kind of enamored with Jet mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. Um have you, you don't you're not sure if you voted, who would you vote for? 
I think it. Oh. I mean, with the Beasley, the Beasley podcast, Jordan. I mean, it's we've come a long way. Uh, we both had those know, moments think... this season. Now it's okay. Wait, what? We both had those moments where you know we had to eat crow. I think it was was your expression. Very shortly after that, when I had that, two weeks as I was ago. listening to County Crows, I was eating and counting yeah. crows. Mr. Jones, uh, I think I would have to go snow because there is there is a larger implication for what his contributions are, and the fact that he's like a legitimately forty percent three point shooter, which sounds crazy to think about when you think about how he started. And it was like you know. He was a high volume three point shooter, but he's still shooting like twenty seven percent at one point, or it was, you know, sub twenties, or sub thirties. I mean, um, like that's insane. And the fact that, you know, they are, it was with Middleton, and they have, they don't have great options on the wing behind him. Uh, they nothing. They have let's, nothing. Yeah. Let's not pretend here. We'll get to that later. They have <laughs> nothing behind Tony Snell. Yeah. And I, I just think you just found something to work with where, and obviously can we have MCW for him? That, <laughs> that kind of is the cherry on top for that. I, I See, I think the only reason I don't go Snell is because I, I feel like I had expectations for him because I, I felt he was at least a tree and D type, right? I, I knew the type where, we were saying from the start, he's like Middleton's gone down. They just want to plug something in and try to replicate Middleton's role. And I kind of had that expectation. He's done that and he's exceeded that beyond, I guess, what we felt was reasonable to expect. But he, he's the surprise for me, like Beasley. I mean, Beasley being what Beasley has become. Thinking that I want Beasley to resign, I, I wasn't quite at your level of indignation, but I was not particularly thrilled, and I didn't want Beasley resigned. I, I also think, just a note on that, the initial reactions to that, the, I I know my biggest problem, and I feel things would be different. Was MCW for Snell came later? Yeah. So that was the first move after Middleton. It was. Injury. It was the timing that's what made us so all. It was like. Because we were, I remember us having the argument of, well, is he going to play the three or the four? And what do they really think that can be? Like, that's going to fix Middleton not being there. Where thankfully they made another move. So that never had to even come close to being a like for a like thing. So I think that impacted the initial reaction to Beasley in a pretty big way. Mm -hmm. The results of the poll at the moment 119 votes. Snell has 61%. Beasley has 25%. Jet has 11%. And there's another, or others don't, with 3% of the vote. Is it him? It's, it, people don't specify. Or they but didn't it, it's him. I'm sure Who it's not. Who else would it be? Who else would it be? It's, I mean, they... Roy Hibbert. Don't do me. Like I think you know who it could be. It could be Delhi or Telly, and they could have surprised in that. No, no, what? It wasn't positive surprise. It was just who surprised you the most. You could say, "Well, I'm really surprised at Mirza." <laughs> okay, yes. But let's let's just be honest. The three percent was Spencer Oz. There we go. 
I don't think one game gets 3% of that vote, but anyway. Six. It's not one game. Six. <laughs> six and oh. Six, period, and period. Oh, period. That has nothing to do with Chris Middleton's 7-0 and oh as a starter. Nothing to do with that. Spencer came. He hosed. He conquered. Which is a rejected title for this episode because it has nothing to do with the episode. But that's what Jordan wanted to call this one. In the next, what have we got left? Um, twenty-two 17. games. Is it? No. Is it seventeen? Wow. They're thirty-two and thirty-three. So 17, seventeen games. Okay. Which role player do you feel is going to be most important to them hmm. if they're to make the playoffs? Oh, man, this is a tough question. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, which role player? See, this is the problem. Is like, uh, I don't know. You actually you know I I have a good good answer. I think this is going to be your answer. This is a serious answer. This is not my okay. That's a relief. You were yeah. smiling, so I was nervous. So. <laughs> uh, De- Delhi. It's funny because I'd only started to think about it when you were saying this is going to be your answer, but he entered my head around that point. I do think he's going to be pretty crucial. David Delane. If it's not Delhi, I think it's Jet. I think basically that it's a backup guard with who's going to handle the ball. Yeah, and maybe I don't know. We don't. <laughs> I'm getting sort of strange vibes and this Brogdon thing. Hopefully, by the time some of you will listen to this, you'll have played against the Grizzlies, and that'll be it. But we did have the oh, we'll reassess the whole thing, you know, before the six game. It wasn't even just that though. It was. It was that the Knicks game where he didn't play really well, and then yeah, see, I remember Paschke made a comment about he, like trying to. Like, I remember, I remember him actually getting banged up. I can't remember who it was, but he sort of tangled with someone, and then Paschke did make kind of quite a big proclamation of, "Look, you Malcolm Brogdon hasn't played, and don't look. It's not because anything's yeah, wrong." He's played forty it's, minutes. Jason Kidd said before the game, which was interesting. I didn't hear that, but you know. It, this is this thing we'll probably explore at some point. I hope we'll have good things to talk about for the next while so we don't have to go there. But off-season, whenever it is, injuries is something we have to talk about and the patterns with injuries because it doesn't feel coincidental to me that Brogdon suddenly goes missing after the run of games he was asked to play. Yeah. Um, after being healthy basically all season, I think he missed one game earlier in the year through some sort of minor injury, maybe two games, but one of the healthiest books throughout the year. I just think with that question mark there, and even assuming that isn't there, if he's back and healthy, the books need another guard to contribute when he's on the bench. It's great that Middleton is going to be able to do a lot of that work. It's great that Yanis will, but both ends of the floor, they need someone smaller guard who's going to be able to play their role in that. And that comes down to, if it, if it's not Delhi, it's Jet, one of those two. 
that's it for me. I mean, Beasley could be big if Beasley does come back, although he was walking with a really pronounced limp. I don't know if you noticed that last night. Um, when he wasn't to, on the bench the second half of the Pacers game. Well, when they were going to halftime um, last night and he was kind of walking ahead, so the camera was basically following him. Uh, he was nowhere near what looks like sort of running condition. Yeah. He was. He looked. He was hobbled. For what his diagnosis was, like as encouraging as it was, he looks like how he like the injury looks at or uh, the injury of that he got looks as bad as it looked when it happened. Yeah, that but I mean, sense. what is what is true? Look, there's no structural damage. I mean. He's not on crutches. He's not in any sort of visible brace. Like he is, he is walking around. Um, I don't know if he should be walking around, judging by the way he's walking, but he is. So look, I guess it is. It would make sense that if he did just um, twist his knee or whatever it was, what was the actual? Hyperextended. I think it's kind of the same thing. I think that's what they call it. No, it is vastly different. It's a different diagnosis. I don't even know if that was serious. Hyperextended is so minor. Can it? Yeah. I hardly know her. (laughs) Well, anyway, if it was just a hyperextended knee or a twisted knee, it was the worst possible version of that, I think is is the way to put it, which is kind of getting at where you were. I mean, if if he did manage to have that movement of his leg without having any sort of ligament, bone damage, muscle damage at all, it was really the worst possible hyperextension he could have managed, which is what it looked like. Yeah. He could be important if he comes back just because, as we mentioned, where it does look like they missed Jabari, that sort of extra scoring punch could certainly help. But I do feel, look, they aren't kind of lacking in terms of what they're getting from the wings, from the forward spots. And sooner or later, I hope Terrence Jones is actually going to get minutes because if he's not, that was... That's a, I mean, I think you pointed out... I think you pointed out the other night, uh, obviously Spencer Hawes, you know, was a DMP or inactive for his first 11 games. So eventually once he passes that 11 game mark, I mean, the Bucks will be 6-0 and at some point, you know. I mean, he might be, he might be ready for minutes by game one of the playoffs. Maybe that, that's, that's what will happen. It would actually, it wouldn't be Tom will start all all the way through the regular season and the playoffs will come around and just for dramatic effect, the kid will go, okay, new starting a lineup tonight. Tom will come off the bench and he'll go, oh, it's uh, Henson, is it? No. Monroe? No. We're starting Terrence Jones at center and we're going ultra small. It'd be much sooner than the playoffs. Uh, it would be the Hawks game on March 24th. Would be the eleven game mark. So there we go. Twelfth game is it? He'd have passed the eleven games. Was not playing. Oh, so that would be the game after he gets the Bulls. No, no, that would be the Hawks game. Would be the twelfth game. So that would be his his start. 
I don't mean start, although it's possible. But yeah, yeah. we'll see. Let's move on to the week ahead. It's here. It's finally here. The road trip. The books finally get to go out west. Big questions coming into the road trip. My biggest one is who are they going to leave in Alcatraz this year? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know what one of their questions are. The three, the three players who you know made my Alcatraz Photoshop last year. Are they all gone? Yeah. Wait, who was it? Why am I forgetting? What was MCW, right? MCW. Ennis? No, Chris Copeland. And Miles Plumley. So, you know, do the books have a day? You know, they might do the same again because they play Lakers Friday, Warriors Saturday, and then they don't play again until Tuesday in Portland. So they might take a day after the back-to-back in the Bay Area. They might just make that trip again. Uh, Maybe they won't because it didn't serve them well last year. They were terrible the next night. Uh, that was the Lakers game that, you know, but there was all sorts of other stuff happened around that. But, yeah, I wonder. They certainly who... had an ace of diamonds up their sleeve. They certainly did. If if I have cause to redo that Photoshop in the coming week, I wonder who, I wonder <laughs> who makes it this That's year. like your, like, omen <laughs> of uh, I've, got, I've already got two of three picked, so it's just I'll have to figure out my turret. So we won't, oh, dive, I won't, dive, straight, won't dive straight into predictions. Yeah, Let's talk a little bit about these games. We'll start off with Monday. The books start off the road trip not really out west. Um, they started their western road They're trip. the Western Conference. Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. It's a bit like the Timberwolves. Um, that's West. They started in Tennessee against the Grizzlies. Home of the West. <laughs> the gateway to the West, <laughs> as it's always been called. Um, yeah, as you said earlier, the Grizzlies are... This was before the podcast, so we can't just go... No, you, I, I swear you said... No, I, I made a joke about this. You said the Grizzlies are in a bad way. Maybe you didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I did. But we talked about it at some point. Hey. The Grizzlies are 3 and 7 for the last 10 games. They have fallen back to 36 and 30. They are 7th in the Western standings uh, because the West beyond that point is a lot worse than the 8th seed race in the East. They have a five-game lead over the Nuggets in age, a seven-game lead over the Trailblazers in. But they, but like their city, they are the gateway to the better teams in the West. Um, That is true. Yeah. Except the Thunder, um, who are. Well, I'm just saying in record by record-wise. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dave Fisdale, his quote after the Hawks. I'm going to say destroy them because that is really what it was. And without Dwight Howard, the Hawks went to Memphis and 
kind of they walked moment. all over them they walked all over yes them. they did they were i'm not gonna directly give the song title but yes they did jordan and post game dave Fisdale said we're just really bad right now that was his that was his quote and um, at the time since they've announced which is very strange for this to happen like on an off day uh, but they've announced Tony Allen will return to the starting lineup for Monday's game with the books. How are you feeling on this one? Uh, I think I think I think the Bucks win. I think they. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it's not going to be a pretty game, and especially if Mirza and uh, Brogdon are out again, which I feel like they will be. Uh, I think they'll. It might be a closer game. It might be like similar to like the Timberwolves. Anyway, uh, the, I'll the go Bucks. Beat them. The Bucks beat them by ten in the Bradley Center earlier in the season. Yeah, that is true. But that was also, uh, yeah, uh, Bucks by seven. Bucks by seven. They'll leave the Grizzlies standing in the middle of the pouring pouring rain. Oh, be careful with your words I, there, Jordan. I know. We nearly went somewhere different there. Um, cut that. Family podcast. <laughs> I gotta go books by nine. They've they've had a habit recently with these wins of being pretty close, and then they just kind of last two three minutes. They managed to pull away and shut out the opposition. You had a thought, Jordan. What was your thought? You just reminded me one quick side note about the last three games. I find it really interesting that how they have taken uh, or kind of gone away with a victory, or I guess it's more about the Timberwolves game than anything, but how they've won and kind of lured, you know, the Knicks, the Pacers, and the Timberwolves to, like, trying to, you know, come back and stuff like that. I find it interesting, like, the Knicks game, there was Derrick Rose trying to, you know, conjure up some sort of comeback, and he was literally, like, a one-man crew at that point in the game. Jeff Teague, it wasn't as like in the fourth quarter, but it was like in a similar, like in that second half where he just kept driving, driving, and it wasn't, you know, you look at Delhi and he's getting beat off the dribble and all this stuff. But that was another thing where it's like nothing else was really happy. Paul George was really, again, that was just, I, I yeah, find Ricky it Rubio go off against. Well, that's the other thing too is like Towns had this okay. you know, monster game. But Ricky Rubio was the only one kind of leading them on as that game, especially in the fourth quarter. I that is kind of an interesting trend. I've, I, I've, so not a problem with that for this week. Um, I know Mike Conley has been playing great, but Mike Conley is not Derek Rose or Jeff Teague or Ricky Rubio. He is he's a he's a very very good point guard that might come back to bite them if it goes a similar route. Yeah, I think my my thing. I I do think they'll win, but this is one of these games where I mean, what are you really? What are you expected to get out of Tom when he's on the floor with Marcus All? Yeah, like what is what? Are Maybe you from that, I wouldn't be surprised if Giannis initially is on him because the Grizzlies don't have that much like a wing threat. Chandler Parsons, man, that guy. He's done. Let's stop. It's a weird one. Uh, I, I really liked him in Houston when, I mean, he first burst out in Houston. <sighs> he was so versatile. He did a lot of different things. Well, I know it's a strange one. 
Okay, so we're both we're both going with seven seven games in a row. Um, and if Spencer guys, if Spencer Hawes plays, the Bucks will win. If Chris Middleton starts, nothing to do with Spencer Hawes. Let's come on, let's get out of that. Okay, so if the Bucks do beat the Grizzlies, it will be the first time that they have won more than six straight games. Since what year do you want to guess, Jordan? Nineteen eighty-five. Come on now. I don't know. Come on, seven games. That's thirty-two years now. Um, Hey, that's the last time we had a. Since since January two thousand and two, they won eight straight games. Happy birthday. They also won eight straight games in January of two thousand and one. And if we were to take um, those two out of it, the last time. Aside from that 12-month span that the books have won more than six straight games would be when they won 10 straight in February of 1986. So I was not that crazy. Yeah, you just discarded those good seasons at the turn of the century. You can't do that, Jordan. You can't just erase Darvin Ham from history. I will never. So, assuming that we see some history made, they get seven straight wins. They'll put on their blue suede shoes if that would happen. They might hang a banner when they get back. They will then head to LA. (laughs) This is dangerous territory. They... If they head to LA um, (laughs) after the Grizzlies game, they're going to be in LA... From the 14th through to the night of the 17th. Two off days. Jordan. I mean, it's not like all of... I know Plumlee's gone. Juice is gone. Oh, I'm not talking about that. I wasn't going to talk about that. No, I'm... I'm what were you going to... I'm talking about our friends. I know you our friends at the Aces Diamonds. Yeah. Um, I was going to talk about Randy Middleton, Middleton and Moose are still there who enjoyed their night out last time around. So, do we need to factor that into how they may play against the Clippers and Lakers? <laughs> as well. I don't know. Uh, but if they, I mean, if they win those two games in LA, I mean, they could be like Randy Newman. They're going to love it. They're going to love LA. <laughs> we might be touching on the most song references in any episode at this point. But let's keep doing it. We've had Walking on Memphis. We've had a Randy Newman. We had that Meatloaf song that we didn't know was a Meatloaf song. Like well, that's are... not really a reference. I've... These... It was. It wasn't it's an unintended it was a reference. reference. Yeah. They're stacking up. Yeah. So this Clippers game is the optimism stretching so far that we're seeing good things coming out of Bucks Clippers in the Staples Center. Oh, it's also a nationally televised game. Could be on ESPN. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess a six-game winning streak two weeks there would have sounded crazy. Seven even sounds crazy right now. I don't know, but um, yeah, yeah. As good as they looked against the Clippers, uh, uh. 
last weekend it was i mean it, it was a lot of it was at the effect of how the clippers were playing and how they looked clippers are only 500 in their last 10 yeah that is true i'm going to go clippers i think it's going to be a close one but i think they just edge them out. i'm going to go clippers by 4 yeah you took mine there so I'll have to go with something different just so Jordan won't start screaming. Price is right. Like, uh... That's not me. I welcome our Price is Right overlords. Uh... Plinko. I'll go Clippers by six. I mean, look, we've got to do this. We've got to really do this and talk about it. The difficulty with this stretch of schedule is not that high, really. I think the biggest thing we always had with this, right, is the books going on the road for a long spell hasn't been a good thing. Historically, the books going on the road out west for a long spell is even worse. And we just thought, you know, that's not going to be something that's going to get the best kind of results out of it. Coming into it riding high on confidence, I guess that has them getting along better than ever. Maybe this is something where they're all going to have a lot of fun. Good, clean fun this time, Jordan, but fun all the same. They they could roll through and bring real momentum <laughs> out west. And the good teams that they're playing, they're all struggling. Grizzlies are struggling. Clippers are struggling. Warriors are struggling. There is no the game. Lakers are the Lakers. Yeah, I'm not even going there. Well, I, I mean, they're they're playing them, you know. I yeah, I know. They also play uh, Kings, Trailblazers. Is that it? Is that six? That's six. I mean, there's no game that isn't winnable here. Yeah, they really they they could come true with a winning road trip. That is a big ask. But it's not impossible with how they're playing and how their opponents are playing. So in all of this, I guess what you have to weigh up is just this kind of this. Do you believe that the road is going to take a toll on them? Like at what point does just the the exhaustion that, that brings, the kind of I guess boredom that brings as well? Uh, what at what stage does that really start to do something and kind of impact what we see on the court? And that's aside from injuries, or that's aside from Jason Kidd deciding to play around with the rotation. But and for me, that's the place we're in with this, is I never previously believed they would have the resolve to actually come out of a road trip with a positive result. But then I didn't think they'd win six in a row to turn things around, so here we are. Mm -hmm. After the Clippers, they move on to play the Gualton's Lakers. Again, worth noting, Lakers were terrible last year, and, you know, the Bucks went and they gave them not much of a match. It was pretty bad. You're confident of no repeat this time? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm going to go Bucks by 13. I'm going to go Bucks by 22. There, there is a... Look, jokes aside of what that all that time in LA is going to do for them, it's rare not to have Clippers Lakers on a back to back on your road trip. 
and as long as they don't go stir crazy that is kind of to their advantage this trip is nicely paced in terms of back-to-backs you're not looking at four games in five nights um they can do this it's all very manageable if they can just hold it together which this is the books so anything's possible but i think they'll win that one big and then the coup de gras this game with the warriors really intrigues me right now we know the books are an incredibly difficult matchup for the warriors for whatever reason whatever reason that is um i mean they haven't been blown out by this warriors team yet not even close to it every game has been like super competitive I'm gonna I'm gonna go my prediction first. Yeah. I'm gonna box by eight. Oh, that was my number. But you're picking books too. Yeah. Bucks by ten, Yannis goes for forty. Yeah, see, that's a big part in this is no KD. I mean <laughs> They're struggling and kind of getting things together otherwise, but what are they really going to do with Yanis? I know Draymond Green is a great defender. I think it's reached the point, though, where Yanis is going to really irritate Draymond to the point where Draymond might do those kind of bad Draymond things. I, I, I don't feel that's a great matchup for him. As smart as he is a defender, I don't think there is a level of athleticism which kind of really negates his intelligence advantage that he has on a lot of guys who might be similarly athletic. I think Yanis can match up to that for the most part, and he has these other significant advantages over him. And then it's a matter of, well, are Steph or Clay really going to put you to the sword? Logic would generally say yes, but neither of them have looked all that hot recently. No. Yeah, I, I mean... I just, I also, sorry to go one other thing, but we look at how well Moose played against the Warriors last year, and they are even more vulnerable at center this year. Like, I feel like this is a good game. Like the first Warriors game, if Mirza is healthy for that game, he's going to be a big factor in how they do because he was obviously the. We could talk about the centerless lineup, but he also like he did kind of will them back in that game to make Kerr, it really interesting. Kerr admitted it after the game that yeah. they just they had to respect him every time the ball came his way. Like yeah. if if you're not, I th- I think he will be healthy. He I saw as you did. I sent you. I, I saw pictures of Mirza boarding the plane. He looks calm, cool, and collected. He looks. His his outfit the last two or the Pacers game especially it was he looked like a uh, I don't know what a some I don't know but it was it was very noticeable. He's a fashionable guy. Yeah, I'm always a fan of Mercedes glasses. They he's got the whole thing. And people some people they pick bad glasses. They don't suit their face. Mercedes got that down. <laughs> And that's why he needs to get minutes against the Warriors. Um, but no, really, he. I think if he is healthy and Kid doesn't go to that, 
it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Kerr. Plus, they, and they, without Kevin Durant, I mean, are they going to put Draymond on? Like, if he is a weird we're gonna some Matt Barnes. We're going to have some Matt Barnes at the four. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, you get John Henson on the floor as well, then, don't we? Oh, yeah. Because they did. Jordan just did the John Henson. It wasn't, it was, it was awful. You, it wasn't even you all needed to see it. I'm sorry this wasn't a video podcast. You all would have enjoyed no. it. So we were both <laughs> picking the books to go three and one and then be playing the Kings and the Blazers next week. Are we, Jordan, are we really doing this? Is this really what's, you know, what's going to happen? You know, really blow we, that set, lead. we set it up now. Uh, the leaderboard before we move on to the mailbag. Adam Kaufman, first place, 39-26. Lucas Harkins and Ty Windish are in second at 37-28. Ron Caddy and myself are next at 36-29. and 29. Tim Ray and Tom Feister at 35-30. and 30. And at least above 500 again, we have Jordan Tresky, 33-32. and 32. Jordan is... All set to be first over 900 point differential. He's at 895 right now. Let's do the mailbag. Let's. The first question comes from at Noy Iwanski. Will we ever see Yanis, Chris, and Jabari on the court together? If so, will it be better than this? First part is definite, yes. Yes. I mean, maybe there is some darkest timeline where when Jabari does come back for his next try, one of Yanis or Chris are injured. Stop. And, stop. I mean, that's that's the darkest timeline and then stop Jabari it. can't get stop back. Stop it now. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't think. Not even the books are that unlucky, surely. They're not, Jordan, are they? And you will live with not. the consequences. They're we not that unlucky, will... are they? I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. But yes, they will be. They will play at some point, unless we get that other thing. So, if they all play together, which we're saying they will, will it be better than what we're seeing right now? Um, I mean, it's just it's very black and white. To say that isn't it? Because I mean, if it's if we're saying like, <laughs> is it going to be better than winning six straight? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, what? What what are we are we comparing it to the streak? Are, are we comparing it to the record overall? Are we comparing it to how they are playing overall or individually? Like the truth is, like when Jabari returns, he's going to be again trying to get back into speed of things. All this stuff, like it's hard to say if that's really better. The Bucks might be better themselves, but trying to incorporate a player. Not like let's not assume that his return is going to be Chris Middleton like. <laughs> you know I mean, like that's that is kind yeah, of yeah. It's, it's a very different injury. Yeah, and, and a lot more rust to deal with. I mean, it's not going to be the few months that Middleton had. Yeah, and as we saw last year, uh, we were a few months. People were getting uh, impatient about how he was playing and all that stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I at some point you'd hope. I mean, you hope that it's going to be better. You hope that. You know, there aren't any lingering effects that, you could, that he, you know, gradually gets back up to speed. He finds something or so, uh, some form at some point. But 
it's that's tough question, especially at what point of the season that he could come back into. You know what I mean? I think realistically, even if everything was to go perfectly right for Jabari for the rest of his career from this point, we're not going to see the best of Jabari again until the books are playing in their new arena. Like it's not, oh, yeah. it's not next season. He's going to have those few months of trying to find his way back, and everyone's saying he's terrible. And there's Derek Williams. Yeah, you, you will have all that stuff, and then we'll really see what he is. And maybe it will be that, you know, it's not the same. Maybe it will be he's as good as he was. Maybe he's even better. The tricky thing with that is if if you have to wait till that length of time to judge if it's better than this, Giannis and Chris could be exponentially better by that point. The books could have feared a lot out. They really should have by that point. So I'd be inclined to say, yes, it would be better. And they'd even be better positioned, better prepared to deal with some of his inadequacies at that point as well. Will they yeah. by the time he first comes back? I don't know. But by the time it's really fair to judge him, they they just should be better all around. And yeah, maybe that's a dangerous game to play in itself to say that, but they really should be. I mean, if they're not at that point yeah what are, what are we really here for unfortunately would be the question if we're a year to 18 months down the road and they're not better than they are right now or have been for most of this season things are getting pretty dark again it's funny how the darkness just keeps seeping in here um the next one from uh john chrisulaki whose impact is bigger on the team Come on, Jordan. You can guess which two players. Oh, which two players? Whose impact is bigger on the team? Hawes. No, it would be Chris or Jabari. Oh. This this old chestnut. Um, whose impact is better? Say it again. Sorry, why am I bigger on the team? Probably, yeah, it's Middleton. Yeah, I would say Middleton. It's probably Middleton because he plays better on both sides. Like, if you're weighing it, um, he's better overall in terms of contribution. I don't, I'm not even saying better player necessarily. I'm just saying he's a more rounded contribution to the team. Yeah, and he has a uh, – the whole concept – we talked about it in the past, but, like, gravity or reputation, like – he has a reputation as a well-rounded scorer, well-rounded defensive player, all this stuff. That even with Jabari's strides that he made this year, it, it's hard to kind of attach that label to him. Yeah, you know I mean, like teams are still playing off of him for the majority of the year or, or of his season, I should say, uh, especially from the three-point line. So, yeah, I would definitely go with Milton. Let's not forget he was the best player on the team last year. I mean, yes, by I feel, far. I feel that's very important in all this, no matter all the things and the hype Giannis got late last season. Middleton was the best player by miles. Think back to January. Think back to the Prunty. Yeah, by Plumley. Think back to the Prunty times. And it was. Middleton was doing crazy things at that time. He was unbelievable. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Cast to Canada. Remember Cast to Canada? Yeah. I, I don't actually know if. I know there's there is a lot of appreciation for him among books fans. 
But I still don't know if any of us realize just quite how great he is. Yeah. He could probably be like a leading guy on a really good team and perform very well in that role if he had good, solid supporting players around him. I'm not saying he leads a team to a championship. He's not at that level. But, you know, kind of... Uh, be a Gordon lot... Hayward. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, look at quite how pumped up his stock ha- is and has been for years. I think that's interesting. From uh, John Krizulaki again, will Moose get back next year? I guess this means be back. Will Moose opt in? Is he going to opt out if he opts He's out? He's going to opt out for certain. Um, I don't know. I think but a lot of it depends. Still, is that certain? Because where is... If he's opting out, he's opting out for years because he's not getting that. He's not getting paid, even with his great play. There's not going to be enough of a market, I don't think, to drive that price for multiple years. So if he's opting out, he's opting out for years. True, but this is also this is also his contract now was like he knew that it was going to explode, or the cap was going to explode. But he also came at a time where it at you know last year. He's still making seventeen million dollars a year. I mean, David Falk is not a stupid guy. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's just what all of this shows. He literally couldn't have negotiated that deal any better for his player. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I I think he's certainly opting out. Um, and I mean, to be honest, he could easily just make it. It's not. I this it honestly might just come down to he knows. It's an oversaturated market for bigs, but guess who, you know, guess where the Bucks stand? Don is a project still. Henson, even, you know, Henson is Henson. We don't, we, there is no certainty when it comes to Henson if he's going to be playing, uh, be a starter, or if he's going to be playing at all. Uh, obviously, they tr- traded Miles Plumley, Spencer Hawes. I mean, you know, he is their good luck charm. He is still Spencer Hawes. He can easily just drive up a harder bargain on the Bucks and say, like, I know you need me if you want to get anywhere. If you want to, you know, build off uh, of this year and want to continue and all that stuff. And I really like the Cavalier Trava. Like, I mean, that's that is what he likes to do. Um, the only issue I have with this is if he's looking for big money. It's again this like I mean, how do the books not bring Tony Snell back? Particularly considering Jabari's gonna be out for such a long stretch of time next season. And really, I mean, Tony Snell's price is rising by the day. We all go, Oh great, we beat the Timberwolves and he had nineteen points. That's not the team we needed him to do that against. The team who we've heard there was I know you this I, I basically made this joke on the account for you last night. Like, yeah, I know. Going, you kept going, Oh Tessie subtweeted me. Um I was subtweeting you, it's true. But it, it made I'm sense. I'm not talking about cousins. Regardless of the Zach Lowe tepid interest report at the deadline, like the Tibbs Tony Snell connection was always going to make some sense. And I guess to a degree, they're in the same boat of, you know, where the books might like him as a wing who's going to cover over a lot of Jabari's absence. The Timberwolves are not going to have Zach Levine. So if they want someone, you know, Maybe a little extra help. They don't like what they have at the two. I know it's you're looking at different positional guys, but still, Snell is 
in that versatile range where he can probably share some of the minutes of either of those guys on either of those teams. You can't spell tepid without despite. Thanks for that observation. Um, that was very Sesame Street-esque or something. Gordon. I think Moose comes back, but I just at what cost to the book's longer term concerns me. Because because already outside of any what they're getting from Moose or Snell or what they've got from Beasley this season. Uh, the biggest takeaway in terms of like futures for the books should probably be at this point they need to keep Chris Middleton when his next deal comes up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you do all of that other stuff and you're not talking two-year deals for those guys, how you do that is going to be very tricky. Well, maybe at at that point you're in the new arena if the team's good. I do think when they're in the new arena, and if this is like, say they're a home court kind of playoff team or in that mix, I wouldn't be surprised if the owners are prepared to pay the tax. They, they've put a lot into this team. Look, I know that opens up all sorts of, yeah, well, they didn't they didn't fund the arena entirely by themselves, did they? No, they didn't, but they're... They got an, an alternate court. They got fear of the deer now. Their investment across the state, though, <laughs> with the dealings yes. and everything as well now. They, look, they have, they have shown they're pretty serious, at least, about putting down long-term roots and I guess infrastructure-wise, they're doing all the right things to back up their bin, build a, a winning organization that they, they like to turn to. Infrastructure-wise, they're doing that. Um, we haven't even mentioned other, there will be other weeks when the books were terrible, where this podcast would have all been all about the prospect of an all-star game or about uh, Steve Brand being hired as president of the dealing team we haven't even got to any of that stuff because it's, you know what the books are actually good so we could talk about them being a good basketball team right now but i think at that point maybe they're prepared to get into the tax but it's whether they're gonna voice that right now and be like oh look, just don't worry about middleton because we've got that when the time comes i don't think so i don't think i don't think you make that you show your hand even in terms of your deals right now before the fact it's difficult i think you'll be back but it could be creating headaches for us longer term with salary from the moment he signs that deal Mm -hmm. from at suck a mint look at us birthing twitter handle names jordan it was really jason kidd who birthed that one about yeah um Rashad Vaughn looked like a real NBA player last night. Sign of things to come? Question mark. Can we attribute this to the Renhausens? Jordan. Renhausens. Is Suckamint your alternate Twitter account? No, no. I mean, I can't help but feel a tweet coming at, coming at us. I have to talk about Rashad Vaughn. There's a Spencer Hawes reference in there. Are you sure? I am very sure. Wow. Um, do you want to answer this first so I can compose myself? <laughs> <I'll>... 
Because <laughs> I know it's coming. Answer your own there's question, gonna be, Jordan. There's going to be an eruption. Answer your own. It's not me. Uh, there's going to be an eruption the size of Mount Mirza. Uh, maybe even more. Um, is it a sign of things to come? No. I don't think so. I think every – there's these games where Rashad Vaughn looks – he has fine games. But I think that's the thing is like some of these – Knights can be are I mean every time Rashad Vaughn has a good game, it's self-contained. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice. And you know, there's games like the Brooklyn game where he had like what 22 points or whatever he shot through the roof. The roof is the well, ceiling. As they said. Like that game. Yeah. The Indiana <laughs> game where he was <laughs> Yeah. Indiana game where he played a ton of minutes, but kind of was like fine defensively, but that was really it. He maybe hit one three. Like, that's the thing is, like, he's doing – he had, I don't know, was it 10 points, maybe eight points? He looked fine. I don't know, just fine. I don't know. It's just uh, – you hope for the best for him, but it's not like I, – I don't – to say that it's a sign of things to come, I, have we not learned anything about Rashad Vaughn's tenure? I mean, Rashad Vaughn is shooting 36% for the field, 31.7% from three-point range. He's just about averaging two assists to one turnover on very low assist numbers. Uh, okay, if, you wanna, if, you're, if you're one of these people who wants to spin everything Vaughn does positive, you could say, on oh, really low turnover numbers. I mean, the, the problem I have with a game like the Timberwolves game is, well, look, he's doing real stuff. That's great. Every dog has its day, Jordan. There's this kind of, if it's once a season, he's going to have 10 points and actually make layups instead of missing them. I don't, I just really struggle with what we're doing here. I, look, I've said it. I don't, I'm not saying it to be mean. I just really believe it at this point. I don't think he's an NBA player. I did, thing about his defense fascinates me this trend where people are constantly talk- i just i'm not seeing that the only thing i see him do that he used him to do is get really tight to guys and it's like that he gets so tight that you know he can't forget what he's doing because he's just so close to them that he'll be you know he's within range to try and do something i'm not like i i was watching for this last night because i'm trying to get my head around this great Vaughn defense that lots of people are seeing. Jason Kidd is praising him for recently. And I just keep seeing him like getting the wrong side of his man and going when he should be going over on a screen, he goes under and he kind of, he kind of just gets close enough, but he's not necessarily well positioned to defend. He just got, he's getting close enough to bother someone, which, okay, that's a good habit. You want to be, influencing shots but we're not talking about a big man here like if you're a guard you've got to stay in front of your man and i can't think of a better example of this look at 39 year old jason terry he is so good at it. it's incredible and i never would have associated jason terry before this particularly well later years i never thought you know jason terry defensive stopper he has been excellent. He leads the books, I'm pretty sure, in defensive rating. But 
that's not just the numbers showing something that the eye test won't match up with. He's really, really good at staying in front of his man. Guys, you are so much faster than him. He knows when to take a step back. At 20 years of old, you can't expect that from Vaughn. But I have a problem with us making excuses for someone who's doing as little as he is by going, oh, he's 20 years old. Like, what does that mean? Jamal Murray is 20 years old. So say, oh, well, they're different players. Fine, they're different players. So if Jamal Murray is one end of the scale at 20 years old, and Rashad Vaughn is, imagine me doing, like, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, um, there will be blood now, all the way over here on the scale. What are we talking about? Best case scenario, he's a consistent 13th man on the rotation, maybe, rather than being that, like, twice a year. I just don't know what the potential is, unless this guy can actually shoot, which is what he was drafted for, and he can't. He's he's afraid to shoot, and when he shoots, it's bad, so he's right to be afraid to shoot, unless he can figure that out. I mean, what is the point of him? He doesn't do anything else well enough. I'll, I'll give him one thing. He's a good rebounder. He's a good weak side blocker, too. I mean, he's 6'6", so he's pretty good size-wise for his position, he should be able to do that. I'm just not really seeing anything that though that makes me go, oh, well, he could become this. It's like, well, if he becomes something, it's because he's going to have some complete, like, transformation. There's going to be some epiphany where he's like, oh, I can shoot. And all of a sudden, he shows up and he's able to make shots. I just don't see anything. I'd, I would really like to see something because I don't like the idea of, the first round pick from just over a year ago and a guy who is only 20 should be one of the many, you know, good up and coming young players being this, but he I just, just want to be interesting. Anything. That's what it is. That's... I, I just, just something Jordan, something I can yeah. latch onto and say, well, that is already like his area of expertise. Like I can think of other good examples and okay, this is a guy who was in a big program, stayed around in college longer. Um, but still, a young guy, 22 now, Gary Harris, right? Yeah. Not everyone will remember this, but I know you'll remember. Gary Harris uh, was a good shooter in college uh, with the Spartans. He entered the league and as a rookie shot 30% for the field, 20% from three. And that was fine because the defensive instincts he showed in college transfer transferred over so even the concerns about being undersized whatever he showed you know well i'll be able to guard point guards i have the quickness i have the iq we're now in his third year he's shooting just under 50 percent for the field and 42.9 from three mm -hmm. he's very he's gary good but the point is even with the nothing in terms of his shooting to begin with which is now a really big part of what he does he had something you could hang your hat on. You could put him on the floor for his defense. If that's see what we're pretending we can do for Vaughn, I'm, I'm not seeing the kind of, the comparison holding up of, oh, you know, well, <laughs> you know, it's not what Gary Harris is able to do or guys like that. I think at that point, you need to have something. Ty and I discussed this privately last night. It kind of had, we, we argued about it, friendly, but we argued. And Ty's point is, you can't say he hasn't improved. 
Like, fine, he's improved. He's improved from barely shooting 30% to now shooting just above 30%. Great improvement. I feel like he had the lowest base to start from. Like, how could he not improve? The improvements aren't big enough, and there still isn't that just one thing that justifies floor time. If he could knock down a shot, if he could make 35 36% on decent volume with consistency, you go, okay, he's 31.7% from three. It's so bad. I'm, I just, I'm I have a totally different amount of minutes and shots, probably. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't been a part of the rotation – at this at this time last year he was playing far more consistently. Oh, he's playing he less minutes this year, but he's t- taking the same amount of shots basically, oh. almost identical. Um, two point zero attempts this year, two point one last year, zero point six makes on both. Uh, his field goals, had three point seven attempts last year, three point or sorry, three point eight last year, three point seven this year, and he's playing two point nine minutes less. So he's putting up more shots in less time this year is basically what we're seeing. We're seeing the volume chucker that I feared he was um, in the run-up to that draft. Except at that time, I thought like, oh no, this is like a Nick Young guy. What I would do for Rashad Vaughn to be a Nick Young type of guy right now? If uh, Every rose has its Vaughn. You're, you're I know you're not a Vaughn fan. But I think you're quite as down on him as me. Like, is there something that you see where you're like, well, there is still hope? Because where I am, I know it's only been two years. I just don't know why, even with a bigger roster next year, I don't know why he deserves a spot on it. If you're telling me there's not multiple guys from the D League that you can take and give that roster spot to, and they'll get more out of it. They have more room to develop. They'll give you more as a team. I'm very surprised by that because I'm just not really sure what Vaughn is doing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think my only hope is really for the dealing. I think just having him play consistently, if it, even if it doesn't work out, like just having that kind of resource for him is more and it's more of an yeah, more of an advantage for him at this point than going from sitting on the bench and then having to play when, you know, you're an undermanned squad. Well, I mean, what are we actually talking about then when we're looking at a guy who in his third year is going to have to be in the D-League to hope to find something? I mean, what what is the point of that? Name guys who are, like, really, really worth something who you are going, well, maybe he'll find something in his third season in the the D-League? it's it's so bad really i mean it can be we could spin it a whole host of ways but it's like what are you holding out hope for when it's and let's not pretend i mean this is i feel this is important too vaughn has never lit up the d-league on his little trips down there he struggled even more but is that surprising i mean it's not that surprising because of a of who he is, yeah, right. <laughs> and he's going there on a team that they don't control, so he's just kind of doing whatever. I mean, he's just doing the bare bones. Yeah, but I because I don't think he is. Even if you watch those games, 
which I have, like he isn't the the player that he they have you know designed him to be. He's not a a ball in your in his hands type guy scorer. He is he probably if he is something it's well, I don't think the best example for that right because if we're talking about what he can be next year in a deal team maybe become something. I think the only template we have for what that can be is what he was at summer league the past summer. Yeah, but you now is not good. That's what I'm saying. Like that's when things yeah, are designed but, uh, for him, and he's working through like a book system. He's yeah, but got, it's also summer league though too. Like, I don't know. I mean, it was as simple as Malcolm broke and stepped on the court and looked like twenty times the player Rashad Vaughn could ever be. Yeah, but he's league. he's shot awful though too. What's that? He shot awful. But again, and I mean, if that shooting had continued, Brogdon has fe- does enough other things that you go, okay, we can give him opportunity because he does that. Yeah. Like this is this is the problem at other positions, different scales of experience. This is Mirce's problem. Why, when he's going through a shooting slump, he's not getting opportunities because if he's not making shots, what's he contributing? A lot more. Spacing is the answer, but. That's not very tangible. So people don't like that. And even coaches aren't always going to trust on that. Like, I feel there's occasionally Mirza pops up, he'll come in and you have had one maybe a couple of weeks ago where he had six rebounds. I think he was two of eight from three, had six rebounds. You could deal with that. That's that's not a problem. If he's making two trees and he's grabbing six rebounds, that's fine. I, I just feel in the NBA, someone always has to have something that's there reliably every night. They can fall back on even if other elements are off. Vaughn has nothing right now. Maybe defense becomes that. I just can't identify even a glimmer of that right now. Do you do you see the defense? You've said this before. Like you you've I think it was a week or two ago you said this about some other game. Are you seeing something? What am I missing? What is there something more that is there right now? I think he's an, a fine defender. I think he is Consider. a good weak side chop blocker. That is something that the potential is there for him to do consistently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just in the context of when he does get big oper- or big minutes. I mean, the fact that the Pacers game from a couple of weeks ago or maybe even a month ago at this point or the Pacers game, the Pacers and Timberwolves game last two nights, the fact that the Pucks weren't bleeding points or, uh, you know, uh, having him on the floor wasn't contributing to them, you know, losing the game or falling behind, whatever. Like, that is just in itself, like, a positive in my mind. So, Isn't I, it also, though, like, the Timberwolves game, for example, with the way things are right now, Brogdon, a lot of his minutes, well, he wasn't playing the point, he was having – defensive point guard style responsibilities him and jet were having to share them for spells for example that's like last night was that really that hard against rubio and chris dawn and by the way ricky rubio had like 22 points didn't he yeah but he wasn't on him i don't think he was I, remember, I remember at least a couple of spells like that is kind of some of what he's asked to do defensively particularly right now they don't have a whole lot of options yeah but I just... Oh, actually, you know, yeah, that fourth quarter, I forgot about that. I, I'm going to get tweets about this from people saying I'm unnecessarily hard on Vaughn, because that happens most times I tweet on him. Um, but I just, 
I don't. I, I I know I've had this discussion with lots of people on Twitter, um, different writers you've had we have on the staff who say, you know, what? I see something in him. I I like him. I think there's something there. And I'm just every time I'm like, I think this is what it is though, and it goes back to the Jabari Middleton debate. I think it's just people like him. I think it is a. I think people do like him. I think that's what my a mind lot of is, it is blown though at the idea that people like Vaughn and they don't like Jabari. I just don't know what world what? we live in where that would be, <laughs> you know, because it's not the world where you want to win basketball games. Because even in terms of character, attitude, those two guys. I mean, look, we don't need to go down that road. But if that is part of the reason, well, then I should just stop caring about it because it's a losing battle. We're all doomed. Jordan nods his head in agreement. No, no, I was. <laughs> we're all doomed. I mean, that's normally your kind of when you were talking. About oh yeah, yeah, I, not in yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes. From at Alex underscore Canning zero two three. What does this injury do for the book's chances of retaining Beasley, and at what cost? Mm. He's not a secret, um, which is interesting development this week um making the luke walton all-stars sack lows one of his he's the first multiple first player he was, he was the first player and when i honestly when i opened that piece and when i saw the tweet i have twitter uh, notifications on for for zach low so it flashed up and i was like oh straight away i thought i wonder if Beasley's gonna make it mm. and then yeah he's first on it um Dave Wurzberger also did a really great piece on BZ for FanRack Sports this week. Uh, it's strange that it all happened at once and it all happened when he is out injured, but I kind of thought nobody had noticed and it looks like some people have noticed that BZ is doing good things. And if people in the kind of media world notice, <laughs> you can rest assured that uh, front offices, scouts have noticed. People want to hashtag seize on the bees. What does the injury do for the chances of retaining him? What's the cost? Did a Bucks want to retain him? Uh, I think they do. Do you? I'm I'm not sure. I think they should. I think I've never been more all in on. I think they. Well, I think it's a lot of it is due to Jabari. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of balls in the air on that, right? Because Snell can cover that, and that's what you're seeing. They have a really nice lineup. We talked about that from the first podcast after Jabari's injury, where I think, like, longer term, true to next season when Jabari comes back, ideally your lineup would be point guard, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, center. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't think you want to get into B's starting. So then, okay, we've talked about this. There's a possibility maybe they look to trade Mertz in the summer. If that's the case, you're going to need a backup power forward. He's the guy. He's a better fit to them. Whatever. If that's what they do, that's what they do. Um, I don't know, though, if you can bring keep him as a Jabari replacement if you also want to keep Snell. And then in the bigger picture when hopefully everyone is at some point healthy, Monroe is probably more important than either of those guys. There's a difficult balance there. So I'm not sure the the talk of like him, basically what seemed like hashtag story time with bees. 
um, at the team dinners. I was just imagining him just like at the head of the table, arms out wide as he told his stories. Everyone gathered around laughing with bees. Uh, that that really sold me. And the fact that he's kind of showing the the kind of perspective that he came out with on Media Day, I don't think we believed at that time. But he's actually sharing those stories and kind of using himself as a cautionary tale to some of those guys. It's amazing Rashad Vaughn hasn't remembered how to shoot you. But I just... <laughs> I, I, as much as I wanted to come back, I don't know. More because they'll have so many players they might want back where he's going to fall on their priority list. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's that's the gamble. That is at what the, cost, Jordan? At what cost? At what cost? I don't think uh I don't think it'll be no. I think it's like mid level money. Five million to six million at max. If you I think yeah, I don't think anybody goes mm, I why why do the nets not give bees eight million? But why would they? Because they're going to have the cap space. They're going to give him like eight million in two years. It doesn't really matter if he can give us something real offensively. Maybe he, maybe he really has figured something out and he can be something bigger. I'm not saying I trust in that, but why like a team like that who kind of is nearly spending to hit the floor? Mm, I don't know if, I, I mean, that is, I feel like, It's not a very netsy move. So saying nets is probably I was just using them as an example of a team who, you know, will have cap space over that they could just be like, Well, hey, let's take a flyer, we've got to spend something. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's the thing, is are people going to rely on this rejuvenation and you know look at his uh anecdote like that of his kind of being the you know talking about cautionary tales and all that stuff? Or are they going to look at him as Michael Beasley, the the uh, floundering second, or second overall pick kind of thing? I, I think you, ha- you have to buy into it in a bit more of a real way, and I think people around the league will, maybe more than fans would, because what we don't mention a lot, and it matters, it might have been really one of the more important things in them landing in Milwaukee was the fact that there were rave reviews from what he did with the Rockets for the end of the last season, too. Yeah, but that was also – yeah. But I think a lot of it just came down to how dysfunctional the Rockets were. Oh, I know. But still, like, if I, – I would guess that if in conversation GMs were talking to anyone involved in Houston, they were asked, what was Michael Beasley like when you had him? Uh, gone by what Jason Terry has said very publicly, and I guess the way Beasley played and – what his apparent change has been from that spell and now with the books. I don't think there's anything but sort of really great testimonials coming coming Bees' way. I, there is a, there's a little bit more, I think, because that's a short spell, it gets overlooked still, but I feel there is a little bit more than just what we've seen this year to kind of back this up as being something potentially real. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, from at Alex underscore Kenny 023 again, since I called the 4-0 and week and everything is looking good, how should I temper my expectations for this road trip? Jordan and I probably haven't done a good job of this. No, because... we're not going to help. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't feel, I don't feel carried away with this right now either. I don't think... 
it may no. have looked that way um, in hindsight, but I that's not really how I'm feeling. But I just feel very practically this team is riding a lot of momentum and they're playing against a lot of teams that some of them on this road trip, they're better than to begin with. They're just better than them. And others are good to great teams, but who are all going through some sort of struggles right now and are kind of there for the taking. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the only uh, reason we can fall on right now is just the fact that they're going on a road, on a road trip and they're not a good road team. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that they're the books. Just the fact that they're oh, the yeah. But yeah. Above all else, they're the Bucks. Like, I mean, you don't ever with the books have to look too far past Murphy's Law. I think we're going to come to a point where that, that feels like it should kick in, but hopefully it's never going to kick in again. That's, that's what we're, we're rolling with. From Alex underscore Kenny, to three again. What's up with the two center lineups? I get Hawes can shoot and be a four, but I don't really understand the moose hook pairing. This is really important. So if you're confused with this, please, please listen, because this makes me scream a little to myself every night on Twitter that this has been happening. They don't have other options. What's with the lineups? It's like, uh, find the other two guys who can play. The only guy over is Terrence Jones and... Jason Kidd doesn't play guys very soon after them arriving. He asks for them to kind of acclimatize, get used to things, get to know the system, and then go and play. So the only case is Terrence Jones, who you can say otherwise. And as much as he probably should be playing, it's not Jason Kidd's style. It's not what history suggests he does in this situation. So it's not really all that surprising. So why... This is Kenyon Martin. That was uh, you forgot how to whisper again. That was very oh, sorry, sorry. Unless it's Kenyon Martin, but he had that level of built-in trust with Kenyon Martin. Yeah, like that is that is the difference there. Um, the, it's just by necessity. Yeah, that might change because it's actually kind of worked. So maybe it becomes something that he would look at through choice. But why? Why are they doing that? Because you have to have five players on the floor at all times. I don't know if you've noticed this. I know putting Rashad Vaughn out there sounds like it's you know running contrary to the fact that you're supposed to have five players out there at once, but that's the rule, I believe, Jordan. This is getting, <laughs> I was getting too far. <laughs> I navigated the section okay, and it's now falling apart. Yeah. From an Alex underscore Koenig 3 again. Has Henson made a mid, mid-range jumper in the past three months? Yes. I think he's made two. I remembered two. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Yes. Maybe. I'm skeptical. Made about as many as Rashad. I don't Martin know if he's made one since it, uh, it's been 2017. I think he has. I honestly think he has. But anyway. From at Alex underscore Koenig 023 again. We're into the Alex Koenig section of the mailbag, everyone. Assuming Yanis is Luke, who is more Han Solo? 
Jabari, or Chris. Also, who on the books is Jar Jar? Well, I think it's safe to say that Jar Jar is Rashad Vaughn. I don't have a. I didn't mean for it to pile on, but I did when this question came in. I was. I thought about it. I was like, "There's something too, too seasoned about Spencer Hall's spirit for me to use him as Jar Jar." You're you're disagreeing. Who's Jar Jar? No, I'm just head. Yeah, who's Jar Jar Jordan? You're gonna pick the same person as me. No, no. So who's Jar Jar? I I don't know. I haven't seen Star Wars in a long time. Uh, or that that Star Wars movie. We're back on the fence. It's been a while, but Jordan has returned to his perch on the fence. Who was more Han Solo, Jabari or Chris? I don't know. <laughs> why are we still? Why do we all have to do this? This is this is the second mailbag question where something along these lines come up. We talked a bit on the podcast. Let's stop doing it. Different is okay. Yeah, I feel like this is something people say to like children, but like you know, just but, because something's different doesn't mean it's not good. It can still be good. You can like peach cobbler, and you can like apple pie. Right. You know, you can like pork chops. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan like, is going deep into his childhood experiences here. Or you can like kale. You know what I mean? Like, those are different things. Do you like both pork chops and kale? I'm more of a fan of one than the other. I'll let the audience decide. You're so mysterious that even I don't know that. I... I know things about your food preferences uh, that I just uh, that could actually be either for me, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. See, I like to have a uh, <laughs> a thin veil of mystery surrounding. I'm, I'm guessing this one's pork chops. Is it? I'm guessing. I don't know. You don't even know. That sounds about right. <laughs> that that's, is that's, true. That's your <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, from uh, Alex underscore Kanig zero two three. Does this mean the books will make the playoffs, or am I getting my hopes up again? Um, I mean, they're only. I I said this to Adam last night, or maybe the night before, or maybe before, sometime before. I said if the Bucks go 500 on the road trip, or if even if they go two and four, I think they make the playoffs. I don't even think they need to go. They could probably go below 500 for the rest of the season and make it in if they went eight and nine. I think 40, 40 wins could sneak them in with the way their tiebreakers are. I think that's important, and all of this is that's a nice little edge they have on everyone except the Heat, and um, those ridiculous losses when the Heat were terrible. The Bucks are one of these teams, they didn't even lose to the Heat when the Heat were good. Yeah, They lost when the Heat were... Well, no, one, one loss was... One did, but I mean the, the really bad one. Yeah, that was terrible. That was like, bad. that's now the difference between them having tiebreaker over everyone around them, which that would be pretty remarkable. Yeah. Right now, if you're to ask me... Yeah, I've gone full 180, and I'd say, yeah, they probably do make it, but we'll be very well-placed answer that a week from now. From, oh, we did this one. I was going to say from a TRW24, but we answered his role-player's question. 
Lactalic's Koenig then. You're not going to like this one, Jordan. Can Telly do anything to save face for the rest of the season? I'll be honest, I don't like this one either. He doesn't have to save face. He's a shooter. He's having a bad shooting season. And guess what? He's got a nice three-year deal there for security. So he doesn't exactly have to worry about anything. Um, I don't even think he has to save face. He's second in the team in net rating. Yeah, um, that's, that's what I was going to say. He's very positively influencing the team. I know that drives some people he's crazy. He's got a great, great pair of bifocals. There, I mean, if any of you need to go spectacle shopping soon, I can only recommend you take Mirza Sladovic along with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe if all goes to... If the worst came to the worst... Mirza could always get a job, like as one of those people in an optician. They're like, "Oh, what about these glasses?" Yeah. Or, I mean, I know they have a promotional thing with uh, the Bucks, but he'd be perfect for Wisconsin Vision. That's one of their commercials that they. There run. you go. Doesn't even have to. Doesn't even have to move. Yeah. Why go to Wisconsin Vision when I have sixty pairs of my son or? Sunglass. Oh, I've already ruined it. Oh, Jordan. From a David on 21. Isn't this season leading inevitably towards a first round series where Giannis gets payback over Brad Stevens for the All-Star Game MVP? So he is assuming that the Bucks are the seventh seed by that question. I don't know. Or the early. sixth seed. Jordan. Maybe the maybe the eighth seed. Get out. I, I do genuinely think that uh, one is up for grabs still. I would be very surprised if the Cavs don't have it. The the Celtics are in they're in the third they're the third seed as of this recording. Yeah, they're, 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 basically, they're basically tied with the Wizards. They're both two and a half games back at the Cavs, which is not a lot considering the Cavs. But their win percentage is 0.04% <laughs> different. That's what happens when you've played more games. That's why they're behind. It's a different win percentage. Uh, I I don't know if we'll get this Brad Stevens revenge thing. And that's the one thing I will say is if they get in, happy birthday, Jason Kidd. There'll be games up for grabs. I mean, I, none of including the Cavs because we've seen the books play the Cavs very competitively. But particularly the Wizards and Celtics, I wouldn't be afraid of. Personally, if I had to root for anyone right now, I want the Wizards because of those weird comments. I was saying that we have the Cavs with that as well, and the Celtics just generally hate everyone. And the books still have two games to come with the Celtics to create that kind of rivalry. Uh, but there's something about that Wizards thing that just got under my skin, so... I'd love Giannis to go for like 50 on the Wizards. Leave him in to go for 50 in the playoffs. That would that would be music to my ears. Jordan's been quiet, so I'll move on. <laughs> Lastly, I said it this week, so you've got you've been warned. This is the last question. Okay. From Alex underscore Panic 023. Is John Henson alive or was it just a mirage? 
I mean, he's playing basketball. He is alive. He's wearing a jersey. He's wearing a jersey. He's a basketball player. The jersey fits him. Um, kind of hemmed and hawed there. John Henson is alive. I can yeah. I can confirm. He's the, he's talking about in this Frankenstein. He's alive. Kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's it's my fault. I've I use that terminology quite a lot when I'm tweeting about Henson. Very much alive. Um, and he's this particular Frankenstein well, has a habit of short circuiting very quickly. Though. Yeah. The question is, how long will he be alive for? And then, how long will it be until he next returns? And then. You got it. It quickly can be become. Uh, oh, I, mean, I can't do this joke. <laughs> I mean, I was just leaving the last word again. I feel like that's a joke that you're gonna have to you're gonna have to finish for me once we stop recording. Uh, <laughs> but that's it for for us for this week. Um, make sure to. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. You can check out all of our work on BehindTheBookPass.com and follow us on Twitter at BehindTheBooks. That's where you'll get everything you need throughout this road trip. That's where you can have late night fun with us. And come rain or shine, Jordan and I will be back next week thank you very much for listening thank you Jordan thank you